stealing through my body, creeping through my veins, pouring in my blood, oh, darts of fire in my brain, stabbing me, agony, I can't stand this torture, this torment, I can't stand it, I won't, I won't, I Hey folks, Mackenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac and the Movies. Today we have a bit of a treat. I'm going to be going through some infamous films that demonized social ills like marijuana, alcohol, jazz music, and prostitution. Some good old 1930s moral panic films. The gems I'll be looking at today are The Iconic Reefer of Madness, followed by Sex Maniac, Slaves in Bondage, Protect Your Daughters, a.k.a. Reckless Decision, and Assassin of Youth. John and I will engage in another segment of What a Year. We'll go through our favorite films of 1978. To close out the show, I will have another giveaway from Paramount Pictures for the film Ida Red. Without further ado, let's get into these movies. Oh, and spoiler alert for these near 100-year-old films. Sadly, I couldn't find anything in the way of a trailer for Protect Your Daughters, so I had to forego the typical protocol with this series. The film opens with a mother lamenting the carefree attitude of her daughter, an attitude only encouraged by her father. One night while out on the town, the police raid a restaurant serving alcohol where the youths were patrons. Adding to the youth's craziness, two couples are getting married while intoxicated. One of the couples is between a young man and the daughter of a minister. In the box set featuring the films I'll be talking about, this was the earliest, coming out in 1933, but would also be the most dull. It's a lot of melodrama with a very tame depiction compared to the films that would come out in the next few years after Protect Your Daughters. While Protect Your Daughter came out in 1933, it was a re-edit of a film released in 1922. The film retitled, or, sorry, uh, the film was titled Tell Your Children. This title will pop up again later on in this episode, but for a more prominent film. For a movie called Reckless Decision, there was some drunk driving, but that's the extent of it. I would have thought the parents would be okay with the marital element considering there is no indication that the couple was having premarital sex. So no need for a shotgun wedding. This comes off as a precursor to the short featured on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Is this love or just rough sex with Michael Douglas? For a lot of the cast and crew, this would be their only film in their career. The one cast member of note would be Doris Eaton. For a span of 69 years, Doris wouldn't take a role in the film industry after 1930's Whoopi. She would make one last appearance in Man on the Moon with Jim Carrey as the legendary comedian Andy Kaufman. And that's all I have to say about Protect Your Children. This was a boring movie. Even at only being an hour long, it felt a lot longer than that. It's free on YouTube because who would honestly claim the copyright over this snooze fest? (laughs) 
Maniac, a.k.a. Sex Maniac, centers on the duo of Maxwell, a washed-up vaudeville actor, and Dr. Mearschultz, a scientist working on a serum that can bring the dead back to life. Maxwell was struggling to make ends meet and took on being an assistant to Mearschultz out of desperation. Unfortunately, Maxwell kills Mearschultz in defense during one of the doctor's fits of madness, with the doctor suggesting that Maxwell die so he can be brought back from the dead. Maxwell dons the identity of Mearschultz. In the process, he administers a serum to a patient, Buckley. In a mishap, Maxwell injects Buckley with a drug that turns him into a homicidal, sexually aggressive subhuman. This is undoubtedly one of the worst transformations ever put on film. Soon, Maxwell begins to befall the same madness that drove Mearschultz. The plot of the film feels like a mix of Edgar Allan Poe and the H.P. Lovecraft novella for Herbert West Reanimator. 
Sex Maniac came out in 1934, which was 12 years after the Lovecraft work was serialized and published in Homebrew Magazine between October 1921 through June 1922. The burial and reveal of Mearschultz has the black cat written all over it. As for taboo subject matter, the most extreme this film gets is the nudity where Buckley has a victim and he tears her clothes off. We have women in lingerie and experiments with dead bodies, but the nudity was likely a step too far for many. In other films, Esper would tackle venereal diseases with sex madness and his own original quote-unquote film, Marijuana. In between segments, we have information bits that spout science cliches on various mental conditions. During moments of madness, Esper overlays scenes from the Dutch film Hexen from 1922. I also heard some of the scenes were, scenes were taken from the Fritz Lang film Faust, but I can't 100% confirm. Dwayne Esper was at the halfway point in his directorial career when he made Sex Maniac. However, he was early in his work as a producer. Sex Maniac was two years after Esper took the Todd Browning classic Freaks on a screening tour and helped make that film the cult classic we know it is now. This was common for Esper, especially with a movie that will be later become Reefer Madness. And that's all I have to say about this film. There is no one in the cast really worth talking about. Esper was the one figure of interest with regard to this film. Uh, if you want a goofy bad movie to toke and laugh with at friends, uh, then this is one that's a solid option. Moving on. These high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they danced. Innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. In this film, you will see the ease with which this vicious plant can be grown in your neighbor's yard, rolled into harmless-looking cigarettes, hidden in an innocent shoe or watch case. If you want a good smoke, try one of these. You will meet Bill, who once took pride in his strong will as he takes the first step toward enslavement. Of course, if you're afraid. Smoking the soul-destroying reaper, they find a moment's pleasure, but at a terrible price. Debauchery, violence, murder, suicide, and the ultimate end of the marijuana addict. Hopeless insanity. It is too late. Bill and Mary are high school sweethearts. Things are fine until Bill visits the house of May Coleman and Jack Perry. Coleman and Perry are cohabitants of a house where they peddle weed to kids. Mary ends up at the same house. She is assaulted by one of the other weed fiends and ends up being killed in a struggle between Bill and Jack. Bill is framed for murder and has to deal with the consequences. 
Reefer Madness started out as Tell Your Children, the same title of the 1922 film that would later be re-edited into Reckless Decision, aka Protect Your Daughters. Esper first screened the film under the Tell Your Children title in the South. For each new territory of the screening tour, Esper would alter the title and the marketing of the film. This is not different from the method used by Roger Corman decades later. West of Denver, Colorado, Tell Your Children was changed to Dope Youth. In Pennsylvania and Virginia, the film was called The Burning Question. It was in the New England Territory that the film earned the Reefer Madness title, and the title stuck. In the 1970s, Reefer Madness would be one of the first titles distributed by the newly formed New Line Cinema. Overall, the film is a laugh given the over-the-top presentation of marijuana and the false information the film is full of. The performances are hammy and add to the can't-take-this-film-seriously spirit. The film is full of melodrama and will keep the viewer invested. There were a few people of note in this film. The lead character, Bill, was filled by Kenneth Craig and would be his only feature film performance. Dorothy Short, who played Mary, would be a B-movie regular, often working with co-star Dave O'Brien. We'll see her again in this podcast. Joseph Forte was the voice of authority, warning of the dangers of marijuana. He looks like he could stunt double for Margaret Hamilton. His other big credits were Them, the Giant Ant movie, and the Jerry Lewis classic, The Nutty Professor. Dave O'Brien is a highlight of the film as the gradually insane Ralph. He would be often featured alongside Dorothy Short, seen as they were a married couple. He was kept in Midnight and in Spooks Run Wild with the East Side Kids. He would enjoy a second career as a TV writer for the likes of Red Skeleton. If one is a longtime fan of the Three Stooges, you'll notice a few familiar faces. In the jury of the trial for Bill, you'll find a few of the same people who were members of the jury in the classic short, Disorder in the Court. Actor Edward Saint played the judge in both this order in the court and in Reefer Madness. And that's pretty much all that needs to be said about Reefer Madness. It is a classic, and it is easily able to be seen online. Uh, definitely worth a laugh with uh, some friends, beers, and a few other uh, mind-altering substances. Something sinister is happening in this town. Advertisements appear in small town papers. Offering young and attractive girls work in the city. No experience necessary. I would like very much to get the job. I'll see that you get work. Things are not what they seem. And you know our club prides itself on beautiful figures. So I'll have to ask you to raise your skirts. And with evil lurking behind every door. Get in that room. Oh, please don't baby! Get in that room! No one is safe. You'd better come along with me. They think that I'm part of an extortion plot. And now, driven by desperation... I want you to meet some of my entertainers. She will travel those dark corridors. And in this room, out-of-town visitors are usually entertained. Past the point of no return. Do you want to play, huh? No, I don't want to play. Slaves in bondage. Stick around, we're going to have a lot of fun. Mary Lou escapes abduction by jumping out of the moving car of her captors. She's found moments later and is brought home to safety. She tells her story and the police are sent out in force to the gang's operations. Unfortunately, the gang is tipped off and they escape, but leave prostitutes behind to be found by the police. 
The gang is sitting on a lot of money that's marked and they need to get rid of it. One of the gang puts some of the money in the pockets of a news reporter that has been looking into their operations. The reporter is arrested and the gang continues their human trafficking. But there is a growing sentiment among the gang henchmen that they're being underpaid for their services. Of all the films we've seen so far, Slaves in Bondage is the one dealing with a serious issue uh, that is still a concern today. Human trafficking. Women are lured into the city for employment for work as manicurists, but end up being forced into prostitution. The other issues in the film presented up to this point, marijuana, drinking, uh, those are harmless vices, but human trafficking is still going on and is even an international problem. Elmer Clifton directed this film, and this won't be the last time we see him. Early in his career, he worked under D.W. Griffith. Clifton was a second-year director on both The Birth of a Nation and Intolerance. Much like Reefer Madness, there are a few familiar faces to the Three Stooges fans. John Merton, Sam Lufkin, and Eddie Lofton. All appeared in Stooges shorts at one time or more. Eddie Lofton was the most recognizable because he was the cab driver in We Want Our Mummy. The other cast didn't stand out or strike me as worthy of further inquiry. Uh, Slaves in Bondage is more of a downer movie compared to Reefer Madness, mostly due to the subject matter. It's one that's difficult to find humor in, and the over-the-top nature of Reefer Madness is absent in favor of taking the material seriously. For that, I can't blame the film, and at the same time, I can't recommend the film for the so-bad-it's-good crowd. I never realized, Mother. I'll do everything I can to find her and bring her home. Circumstances are you to say you were in this house. The police will pass an innocent weenie roast on the beach. But should they know of your actions here, that there's been a drinking party, and nude bathing, an investigation will surely take place. Joanne Berry stands to earn a substantial amount of money from an inheritance in the will of her grandmother. She can only earn the money as long as she stays in good moral standing. It doesn't help that her sister is part of a youth gang that stirs up trouble by drinking and skinny dipping. Art Brighton, a news reporter, goes undercover as a soda jerk. 
At the soda shop, he can keep an eye out on the kids and see if they can lead him to the marijuana distribution ring. In the process, he ends up falling in love with Joanne. Elmer Clifton is back in the director's chair. Thankfully, this film doesn't take the material painfully serious. There is some light humor as well as humor of the unintentional type. The comparisons to Reefer Madness don't stop with the premise of innocent youth corrupted by marijuana, but the film also features actress Dorothy Short, playing the opposite of her character in Reefer Madness. We get blindsided by a random history lesson, it is a flimsy attempt to connect marijuana to assassins of various civilizations. Uh, this is a convoluted means to connect the film to the title. Get ready for another Three Stooges connection. There is a dance party at the 28 minute mark. Listen to the music in the background. The music playing is the same music Mo, Larry, and Curly play in Disorder in the Court, while the exotic dancer performs for the courtroom. Also, this same music played in the trailer for Reefer Madness. Earl Dwyer steals the movie as Pop Brady, the owner of the soda shop. Dwyer was often cast in westerns, uh, frequently in the role of either Mexicans or Native Americans. As Pop Brady, he seems like he belongs in a Warner Brothers cartoon. Dorothy Short is clearly having fun not playing a square like she did in Reefer Madness. Fern Emmett plays the local gossiper, Miss Frisbee. She continues the moral panic film tradition of being a cast member who bears a resemblance to Margaret Hamilton. Overall, this is the better of the two films by Clifton. It's less serious and tackles less ominous subject matter. Uh, this one is easy to find. In fact, all of these films are easy to find online. And that wraps up this look at moral panic films of the 1930s. I know some of these titles weren't the ones I mentioned in the previous episode, but those other films weren't released in the 1930s. If uh, marijuana was the prominent subject of the 1930s, I imagine the 1950s offered a plethora of juvenile delinquent films. Uh, we shall see when I cover that topic. And now, a new installment of What a Year, where John and I share our favorites of 1978. Spoiler alert, John doesn't have a breakdown. Uh, hey folks, Mackenzie Lambert here, uh, host from Mac in the Movies, back with another installment of What a Year. Here I'm joined by John Cleveland. Hi everybody. Uh, so we are going to go through the year of 1978 for our top 10 films of that year. It's a good year. Oh yeah, very good year. A lot, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. All right, so, uh, John, you can go ahead, since you're the guest, you can go ahead and start us off with your top ten of 1978. And okay. And mentions as well. We can go ahead and use, throw, throw those in, too. Okay. Um, well, how I did it, because uh, I just I just went online and looked up every movie made in 1978, all 3,276 of them, <laughs> according to IMDb. Scrolled through them all and found my top ten, and uh, it was a good year. There's some solid, solid films, but i, I got to admit, even with the... Um, Honorable mentions, I, if this was a top 20, maybe 25, I think that's all I like that year. It was a good year, but mm, I've heard better, let's mm -hmm. say. Um, so we'll start with uh, number 10. Uh, Greece. I, if you really? Know me, yeah, if you know me, you would never <laughs> pick that I would have chose Greece. Kind of another indication of that there really weren't that many great films that year, at least in my opinion. But um, but yeah, I mean, Greece has staying power. It hasn't aged well. There's some problematic elements to it, but realistically, mm -hmm. some of the music's still catchy to for what it is. The acting's not bad for what it was. It's the template for a crap load of things that came later, so you got to give it praise yep. for that. 
I had a uh, uh, Friday on my 1995 list, and you were like, I did not expect you to have that on your list, and so I guess this is your Friday. Yes. <laughs> on your list. Yeah, Greece is my Friday. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. So, yeah, it is what it is. Like I said, it's not... Mm-hmm. If you know me, you would have never chosen that movie, but like I said, it is what it is, and you know, you got to give it yep. credit for being... I'm not saying it broke any molds. It's not the first musical. It's not the first anything, but... It's, you know, people are still talking about it, so. Number nine. Uh, now my, I'm going to say my most obscure, but that depends on where you live. Mm-hmm. Uh, this 36th Chamber of Shaolin, one of the greatest martial art films of all time. It's just a right. amazing martial art film that... Shaw Brothers or not Shaw Brothers? Of course it's the Shaw okay. Brothers. Everything's the Shaw Brothers. <laughs> Um, I could be wrong about that. Actually, I don't know off the top of my head. I'm just assuming because it was made in the 70s that it's mm-hmm. a Shaw Brothers film. Um, yeah, no, it's just a great film. If you're a big fan of uh, any of the old school, like 70s martial art films, you'll be a fan of it. Okay. Story of, is it Gordon Lau or Gordon Lowe? I always forget his last name. Um, uh, Kill, in Kill Bill, he's the, uh, the guy that makes a sword. He's uh, Hyor Hanzo. Oh, Sonny uh, Chiba? Oh, wait, no, no, he's his. His buddy. Oh, okay. Because uh, it's Sonny Chiba. That's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think Gordon Liu. Anyway, it's the movie that made him famous. It's brutal. It's got a lot of really good um, training scenes. Okay. Because it's set in the whole Shaolin Temple and everything. It's just an awesome movie. Uh, number eight. Probably, yes, number eight. The uh, Critically, the best film on my list. The Deer Hunter. Oh, yeah. Yep. Just... Mm-hmm. That scene, I mean, I could say that scene about 12 different scenes in The Deer Hunter. And I will say, having watched it several times at this point, it is a little long and I think it could be tightened. But that is the only critique and I think it needs that room to breathe to let the other scenes make feel more impactful. Mm -hmm. But like, if I'm going to talk about the, the, the Russian roulette scene... There's a live round in that gun when they're doing that because De Niro likes a little method in his acting. Oh my god. Like... What? <laughs> like, and he's sure to see with Christopher Walken, and Christopher Walken is the more rational of the two. Yes, in that yes, scene. yes. So awesome, just awesome movie. Just again, if if this was a ranking of the best films of that year, it'd, it'd be number one. Number seven, uh, 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm. About the eighth time that movie's been remade of the five thousandth, it's been remade, but. <laughs> I'm going to say the best. Yeah, yeah. No argument for me there. Again, uh, maybe this is just a trend of the late 70s. A little long. I think it could have been tightened a bit, but it's also my... F- it's my it's my favorite movie to point out that Leonard Nimoy's in it. Because <laughs> everyone's just like, oh, he's Spock. He's only in Star Trek stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's just a really the... Jeff Goldblum, mm-hmm. you know, super young Jeff Goldblum's in it. Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland is, um, and again, it's it's the best version of what is... And Veronica Cartwright from Alien is in two, right? I think she's in it? I, I, I'm not sure. And the, uh, to let us know in the comments. Yes, so, please yeah, do, yeah. please do. Correct us if we're wrong. <laughs> You're, uh, so, but either way, I yeah. think it's the best version of Invasion oh, yeah. for the Body Snatchers. Really good special effects for the time, too. Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, just a it's a great film. It's a great story. You could argue the the black and white one is better because it's it was a it was a creation of its time. Yes, yes. I think I think that that's one of the th- the things that allows Invasion of the Body Snatchers to be remade so often. 
it's really just about people's fear of un, a different group mm-hmm. taking over them, and that's going to be something you could keep writing about continuously. And also just the fear of force conformity. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. Nailed it on that one. Yeah. Good call. Number six, National Lampoon's Animal House. <laughs> yep. Like, it doesn't age well. It's very problematic. Yeah. Especially since one of the girls is, what, 14, 15 years old? So. I wasn't going to bring it up, but you yeah, have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, yeah, there are many problems in the film. It's a product of its time. It would never be remade now. If it would, it would lose all... It would get so much would have to be changed. It would be so toothless. Yeah, it would be so toothless. But at the exact same time, there are so many moments in it that are just iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to put it on the list. So it is, you know, I, hindsight being what it was, probably would have put it lower on the list or, you know, more closer to 10. But yeah. it is what it is. Um, top five. And this is where the rest I like. These are solid films I'm a big fan of. Number five. One of the greatest superhero movies ever made, mm. and a template that they're still using. Oh yeah, Superman. Yep, that Richard Donner theme, that background story, mm-hmm. Christopher, uh, Christopher Reeve. Reeve. Yep, Marlon Brando as his father. Everything about the movie's great, except the last five minutes. Margaret uh, Kidder. Margaret Kidder. Still Lois Lane. Yeah, like everything about that movie is just great. Yes. Now the background rear projections of him flying don't really mm-hmm. work so well, but the movie's what fifty years old. Yeah. Give it a break. Mm-hmm. Um, I dare say it's still like if you ask me top ten best superhero movies, it's probably in my it, top five. It'll still be my top five also. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's so iconic. It's I'm not a big person where it goes just because it's older and it's set a trend. It's better. It's not all the time, but this one I think stands up with the cavat. You got to just stop. You just. The, that last five minutes where he spins and turns the world backwards just yep. doesn't count. Mm-hmm. It's not... It's The movie's considered canon in DC except those that event. Like, it's just a great film. They made one mistake. What do yeah. you mean? Um, number four, uh, a movie that I, I still think is very important, uh, but I completely understand if you, as a kid, specifically if you saw it and you didn't want to... Watership Down. Uh, yeah... Yeah, I remember... What I, it's the first animation I ever saw that went like, this was not made for children. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I got a story later, I'll tell you later, but I'll, okay. I'll wait to tell you later. But, uh, but I'm, I'm just a big fan of it. It's it's great animation, it's beautiful animation, it doesn't coddle the audience. You're going no. to see... Just so you know, if you're not aware, Watership Down is the story of rabbits and having to rehome. That is the surface story. There is so much more being talked about. Mm-hmm. Religion... Is a massive part of what's getting talked about the bull, the 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 bull that can come with that. I, I there are, there are other deeper things that are being talked about. Um, it's an indictment of religion. It's an indictment of society and the what is become societal norms. It's an indictment of war. Mm-hmm. It's an indictment of so many things, and it's all wrapped up in a the bow that is bunnies. It's, it's it's the animal farm of its generation. It's tackling some pretty heavy political stuff under the guise of being like a children's novel. I say it takes it further. It's tackling mm-hmm. societal things. Because mm-hmm. like Animal Farm, if you watch Animal Farm in Russia, it's a different story. Yep. If you watch it in Germany, obviously different years, it's a different story. It's taking things differently. Yes, it's just about oppression and, you know, power corrupting you're going to take different stories with it. Mm-hmm. 
if you watch Watership Down everywhere on planet Earth, basically, it's going to be an indictment of the things around you. So mm-hmm. I think it's even better than, in my opinion, it's even better mm-hmm. than Animal uh, Farm. And I'm a big fan of Animal Farm. Number three, tonally, we're about to take a really hard turn. So buckle up. From Watership Down, two Cheech and Chongs up in smoke. <laughs> Which is not an indictment of anything. No. It's just a movie about people who made a, a car out of weed and try to get it and it, try to drive it. So, it's just fun. Yeah. It's still yeah. one of the best stoner movies of all time. It's just fun. Tom, Tom I'm scared having uh, a flashback in the middle of the street. When, <laughs> and there's just nothing going on. <laughs> Dude, how fast are we going? Dude, you park. <laughs> no, it's great. It's just a great movie. I just thought of something funny. <laughs> Your <just> mother. A... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just it's it's just so good. Arguably their best, I would say, yeah. is their best. Yep. Um But yeah, so again we're gonna take a hard turn again. So Up <laughs> Smoke's really just a really hard turn yeah. in that little thing. Uh number two, and this is one I debated, we had a conversation yeah. about this before, between one and two, and to be honest with you, I'm pretty sure these are your one and two, mm-hmm. just in a different order. Yep. My number two is Dawn of the Dead. Yep. Probably the best zombie movie ever made. Mm-hmm. And that's an arguable point. You can get in the whole thing there. But, like, it's just so good. It's it's everything Romero, and, and this is controversial, lucked into mm-hmm. in Night of the Living Dead. Yep. Taken to the full. It's the one movie that stops me from saying Romero got lucky once and has been riding his own coattails ever since. It's the only thing that stops me from saying that. Because after getting lucky with Night of the Living Dead and many things not his his decision making at all mm-hmm. working in his favor, this is just pure genius. Yep. The connection with zombies to consumerism, the how humans will work in this environment, placing it in a mall, mm-hmm. not with the consumerism idea, of course, but also just that it's a really cool environment to have yep. this in. It's just it's great and <laughs> it's been remade. Into another great... I love the remake, too. But it's also been remade, and the idea of it has been redone a thousand times. Chopping all. So many times. Yep. So, like, it's incredibly influential, it's incredibly important, and it's just an amazing film full of great moments and really good character work. Imagine if this movie didn't exist, how much of a detriment that would be to the Italian film industry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you take this and Mad Max out, they don't make movies for 30 years. Oh, yeah, jeez. And the only film I think that came out that year that could beat that, and again, this mm-hmm. is something where like maybe I did sit down and really think about this. This was a very this is probably the hardest decision or one of the hardest I've ever had to make mm-hmm. on one of these lists. the The film that could beat it is if you know what 1978 is, yeah. you should know instantly what this film is. Mm-hmm. It's Halloween. Mm-hmm. John Carpenter's first off, the perfect slasher. Yep, it's just like one of the perfect hor- best horror movies of all time. Like spawned not only its own series, but also spawned a thousand imitations. Um, just so it's so good on every level of filmmaking mm-hmm. that I really do. It's one of those films that I'm not positive what you could do to improve this. It's a film, and I know I've mentioned this before, but it's a film where now there's YouTube videos about oh, it doesn't make any sense that he wouldn't know how to drive. Okay, what else do you say? Okay, so let's pretend that driving is this impossible thing that you can't possibly just know how to do. Like I did. I just kind of got it. It didn't, was it? But let's, I'll give you that. It's a little, that's a, it's maybe something they could have addressed somehow. 
this is the funny thing about film novelizations. Yes. They actually kind of explain how Michael knew how to drive in the novelization. He just studied Loomis while he was in the back seat. Like, he was actually watching Loomis drive the car. That's how he learned how to. Interesting. I, to be honest with you, I don't think the movie would have lost anything if no. he just walked there. Mm-hmm. If you just put the insane asylum, like, two towns over, yeah. and he just walks there, it doesn't change anything. It's not a negative. But again, if that's the level of nitpicky we have to get that's to a, that's try to come up with something. Yeah. Nitpicky. Like, it's, like, I don't view that as a negative, really. No. But either way, the movie's amazing. Mm-hmm. It ends perfectly, too, with him, like, the mystery. I don't hate the sequel. I think I get why it was made. I don't have a problem with it. I, mm-hmm. If it wasn't made, I wouldn't have cared. But, like, it's just... It's that much better than Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. By the smallest margin, mm-hmm. but it's that much better. Oh, yeah, I, I can't argue against that. That's... Yeah. So... All right. And that's my list. All right, okay... Uh, you're going to see my selection. It just shows you just how little I've seen of 1978. <laughs> so, my honorable mention is Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Just, yep, that's an honorable mention of mine, yeah, too. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> just because it's, uh, it's a, a great little... I don't want to say it's satire, because it is just pretty much a parody of 1950s Cold Wars yeah. sci-fi horror movies. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, my number 10. Star Crash, directed by Luigi Cazzi. <laughs> How dare you? Wait, is this top ten bat worst movies from two thousand or nineteen seventy eight? No, this is, these are just the films I've seen from that year. Oh, we're just naming ten <laughs> films you saw. Okay. You put Star Crash. Yeah, uh, with uh, you intentionally the, the robot with a you wrote it down. Yes, <laughs> I, I on purpose. Yeah. Yep. Well, lock in, folks. We're in for a wild ride. <laughs> okay, number nine, Watership Down. Totally. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and the story I have is because when I uh, was a kid, I would go into an after-school program. Sure. Friday, we would watch a movie. One Friday, we watched Watership Down. Literally. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, I had to be like 10 years old, so... Yeah. Okay, first off... <laughs> No. Second off, this wasn't like a after school, like you go to church and do it because I cannot imagine. It was a church. Catholic school. <laughs> they didn't pay attention. Did they? Oh, it's a, is it? Oh my! Is it one oh, of those? It's, it's a rabbit and it's animated. Yeah, I was say, like, is it? Is it like the asylum thing where they looked at the cover and just went like, "Yeah, it's close enough. It's a com- It's a cartoon. Put it on, and I'm going to have a smoke break for an hour and a half. I'll come back. The kids will be fun with the." The rabbits and stuff. Yeah. That'll be fine. Is that what happened? Pretty much. That has to be, because there's no way that would have ever happened. That's yeah. insane! Yeah. Yep, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> you, you probably had nightmares that night, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the fact that I was in a Catholic school to begin with is part of the problem. That's fair. <laughs> All right, number eight. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, directed yeah. by Phil Kaufman. Just a... Freaking great remake! Yeah, this is what this is the one that was like. Well, I hate remakes. Okay, well, I guess you hate the 1978 Body yeah. Snatchers. Yeah, movie. it's a great movie. Again, I could see somebody saying the original, the black and white one, mm-hmm. was better. I'm not going to argue that point, mm-hmm. but I, I do think the, the 1978 one is but, very, nah, very good. But 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 the whole thing, like oh, remakes are terrible. It's like nah, nah, nah. No, I mean like 80 percent of the time they yeah. are. But I, yeah, I guess the problem is that you know the exceptions. People think the exceptions are the rule. And yes. They, they can't be the case. Yeah, very true. Okay, number seven. This uh, this is going to be uh, out of nowhere. I have Silver Saddle, a spaghetti western directed by Lucio Fulci. 
this he his most famous western for the apocalypse that was years earlier but yeah silver saddle uh kid witnesses his father gunned down at yeah. a young age he kills his father's assassin and sure. then becomes the top assassin top hired gun as mercenary in the west but okay uh it's lucio fulci at his most sentimental and that is not something you would normally associate with him i was saying pretty much any sentimental mm-hmm. would, would be his most i would assume it's interesting i've yeah. never seen it mm-hmm. to be honest i've never even heard about it before i think before i'm sure i scrolled yeah. past it and like no this is yeah. west no no just mm-hmm. moving past but like well, I'll give it a shot, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I mean, this this is probably the most un-Fulci, Lucio Fulci movie you'll ever see. So it was interesting, those those movies where a director just takes, I'm going to do something different. Yeah. You know? Okay. And this is 1978, a year before he did Zombie, and just became, like, the great Italian horror director that we yeah. know him as. All right, all right, I'll give it a shot. Uh, number six, The Driver, directed by Walter Hill, just... <laughs> fantastic action even two car chases speaking of rumix yes yeah drive owes just so much to this movie it's ridiculous yes you've got ryan o'neill as the driver you've got bruce dern just being this sniveling weaselly cop that's trying to get him it's bruce dern yep i'm a big fan of bruce dern (laughs) yeah but yeah the driver just two car chases that's all you Mm. need that's That's fair yeah uh my number five up in smoke with cheese and chong <laughs> Again, I would normally have not anticipated it, but after going through a lot of movies, it's 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 definitely good enough where it needs to be in like mention, maybe an honorable mention or mm-hmm. something. So I get it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, number four, uh, I had Animal House as my number four. That's fair. Yep. Classic for, you know, again, we talked about it. it's problematic, yeah. it doesn't age well, all this stuff, but there's still a lot of gags and stuff, mm-hmm. and it's still... John Vernon just being the, the hand that he is in his own way. It's also one of those, because of its success... We have other SNL movies. We yep. have, well, we have the idea that an SNL actor can leave the show and be a Hollywood star. Yep. We have all that. I mean, Belushi's obviously oh, a yeah. giant part of that, yep. but like, also, I was the actor who played um, D Day when he pops up, like in a movie that's yeah. more recent. Yep. I'm always like, you haven't aged in like mm-hmm. you were like 20 or 30 in Animal House, and mm-hmm. and now you you're like in your 50s, but. But it wasn't 30 years ago. That was like yeah. 60 years. What has happened? That's yeah. crazy. Yep. It's weird that I think he has probably the longest career out of anyone in that film. Yeah, yeah. That's weird. Uh, though I probably would say you could uh, probably Donald Sutherland's the only one that's... Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. He is. He's the professor. Mm-hmm. You see his butt in that movie. <laughs> Too much Sutherland. <laughs> I forgot about uh, that. <laughs> I really did. Wow, good call. Yep. All right, my number three, Superman, directed by Richard Donner. Just yeah. this, dun, this is dun, dun, where dun. comic book movies you can point to as being okay. This is where they really began. It wasn't the '90s. It wasn't the 2000s with Sam Raimi Spider-Man. No, yeah. not even Batman. From that was Denver. just in an era. That was the beginning of a different yeah. era. But yeah, no, the 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 these are big budget, important movies that people will respond to even if they're not hardcore comic mm-hmm. movie. This is the first one. And they wanted to actually make a movie and not something that just feels like a cynical cash grab. Which, let's be honest, that's what <laughs> most of, movies yeah, are. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Okay, now as you mentioned earlier, there's only <laughs> only two possible movies for my top two spots. Yeah. My number two is Halloween from John Carpenter. I anticipated mm-hmm. this, yeah. <laughs> But just uh, Donald Pleasance. I mean, this was probably, for he a lot of people, him. his first film. Shot him six times. Yeah. How many times did he shoot him? I don't know. He <laughs> screams it. 
It's one of my favorite memes out of that for whatever reason is just him doing that. It's just Donald Pleasant in the whole speech and then somebody going, Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> and you realize he's just in the drive-thru. It's just, whole, I don't I don't know why. It's just hilarious to me. But yeah, no, Pleasant's, uh, we've talked about it before. He wasn't even the first person they asked to be. Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Yeah. Can you imagine? I can't see Cushing being a physical, like, I love Cushing to death. He's a great actor, but physically imposing was something that he stopped being yeah. In like 1960. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's a little early, but you know what I'm saying. I'm sure it was also the fact that he was in Star Wars a year earlier and yeah. his fee probably would have been astronomical. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Good call. Um, and, I, and weirdly, with, with Lee, it's the opposite. I He'd be taller than Michael. Mm-hmm. So it would kind of like, it wouldn't work. Like, you you seem the one I should be afraid of, Doc, not, not the killer boy. And, you freak me out. So, And that's one of the few regrets Lee has ever gone on record with, saying he regretted not taking the Sam Loomis role, yes. which speaks volumes. Yes. He also regretted being in The Howling 2, uh, Sturwa Werewolf Bitch. So, uh, two regrets. Yeah, so. And just that John Carpenter score, too. Just, oh, yeah. Uh, so beautiful. Yep. Yeah. Practical and beautiful. Yes. All right, and this, if you know me, this should be no surprise. My number one movie is Dawn of the Dead. No surprise. No, the Tom Savini gore, yep. the, the goblin music, yep. ju- just the overall. This does what a follow-up or sequel should do, is that it expands the world, raises the stakes. We see people hiding their families and loved ones who are zombies in the basement because one of the great lines is because they still believe there's respect in dying. Yeah. And it's just, ah. Uh, one of one not, not just one of the greatest zombie movies, but for me, it's one of the greatest horror movies. Period. I don't disagree. If we if we had to make a list of uh, the best horror movies of all time, I would I would put Dawn of the Dead in that mm-hmm. in that in that category. Yeah. So all right, so those are our lists for what a year. Uh, feel free to tell us what your selections are from 1978 because there are plenty that I didn't touch on. And oh yeah, like, John, <laughs> go ahead. Well, I don't have many. No, I don't. I honestly don't have many uh, things. I just wanted to point out. I think Spit on Your Grave is great. Mm-hmm. I get that it's controversial. Um, Piranha came out that year. It's, again, it's just a Jaws knockoff, but it's probably one of the best Jaws knockoff, knockoffs. Uh, I don't think it's a great movie, but it's worth bringing up. Magic starring... Uh, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins, where he's insane, arguably, or maybe he's not, and he has a hand puppet, or ventriloquist puppet. It's just a really weird movie. Look, I'm, I'm getting Devil Doll vibes from that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Force 10 from Navajo. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Great Train Robbery, which I actually don't think is as good as it's... <laughs> if I showed you the cover and everyone in it, you'd be like, this movie has to be amazing. And it it's okay. Directed by Michael Crichton, I believe? I don't remember, oh, to be honest with you. I just remember Sean Connery and Donald Sutherland. Okay. And um, the Buddy Holly story mm-hmm. starring... Gary Busey. <laughs> at his at like, perfect casting. like He sells Buddy Holly perfectly. And mm-hmm. this is pre-accident, so pre-crazy. Yeah. Um... Patrick, which is a highly underrated oh, Australian yeah. uh, horror film. Yep. The Wild Geese, If British you can film. find the Italian version, Goblin does the music for that. Ooh, I'd have to look into mm-hmm. that. Uh, Rank Best, Lord of the Rings. Jaws 2, which is a, the second best Jaws It's not movie. three. <laughs> it's not three. I mean, like, it's it's not a... Be- it's just a rehash of the beginning with some different things changed up, but, yeah, it's a sequel. What do you want? Mm-hmm. Dr- the original Drunken Master. Mm-hmm. I do think the sequel is better, yeah. but it's still notable. I have Lo- Eyes of Laura Mars, which is a highly underrated, a uh, lesser-known horror film. Uh, 
And Death on the Nile, just because I'm a gigantic yeah. Perot fan. And you've actually got the the new Death on the Nile coming out within the next maybe year or so. Yeah, maybe. there's some controversy around that. I'm not going to get into, oh, but okay. whether or not it's actually going to come out anytime, so yeah, yeah. we'll okay. find out about that. But yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like there's a couple other movies that are are, are decent on that. Um, I'm going to say, like most years, I think you would pull out a, a top ten out of almost any year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it was a good year. There were some stellar films, but it was a thin year for Hollywood. Yeah. I will say so. Yep. Okay, so those are our selections for 1978. Uh, again, go ahead and feel free to let us know some of your picks in the comments below. Um, maybe they... Uh, I, I honestly don't know why you wouldn't pick Halloween or Dawn of the Dead, but let's let's honestly see what your selections are yeah. for maybe the best of that year. Maybe you just hate hate good things. Maybe yeah. that's why. Yep. <laughs> I mean, shit, I, I had Star Crash on my list, so who knows? Good call. Yeah, I forget. <laughs> forgot about that. Yep. All right, this is Mackenzie Lambert. <laughs> and John Cleveland. Signing off. Bye. The high-octane thriller Ida Red, starring Josh Harnett, Frank Grillo, and Melissa Leo, is now streaming on Redbox. Crime boss Ida Red Walker turns to her son to pull off one last heist to get out of prison. But with the FBI closing in, her son must choose between family and freedom. Stream Ida Red instantly on Redbox On Demand today, rated R from Paramount Pictures. I will be posting the digital copy codes online, four of them will be on Facebook, and one will be on Twitter. It is first come, first serve. And that wraps up this episode of Mac in the Movies. Thanks for listening. Next time, I will be uploading an audio commentary for the countdown, 50 Worst Movies Ever Made, just in time for Thanksgiving. That episode will go live on Tuesday, November 23rd. If you like this content and would like to see the program grow, sharing this podcast would be an immense help. Help spread the word of this show. I do have a PayPal or Venmo as tip jars. Support the media you watch or listen to. Spread the word or chip in a buck or two. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm on Twitch and YouTube. Links in the description. In fact, I think by then I'll actually have a link tree put together uh, just for the sake of convenience. Until then, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Mac and the Movies, signing off. Mm-hmm.